Hi guys, this is Danae Cox. Um, today I'm going to go over the Purple Book Chapter 19, uh, which is focused on the wrist. This is in reference for the Purple Book 4th edition. And remember, these are just my um, notes that I took out as I was going through the questions. It's not actually reviewing the questions and not everything is in here. So, um, you know, you really need to get the purple book, go through it, go through rehab of the hand, and um, use this as uh, just something to help you along the way. So, um, the radioscaphalunate ligament. This is also known as the ligament of testut. The radioscaphalunate ligament tends to be very weak and is considered a mechanoreceptor. The FCU inserts on the pisiform, and the FCU is the strongest wrist muscle. The TFCC is comprised of an articular disc, meniscus homolog, the ECU tendon sheath, and ligaments. The TFCC is the primary stabilizer for the DRUJ. Diagnostic imaging that can be used for the wrist, you could do a CT scan, which is most useful for visualizing alignment and articular movement of fractures. An ultrasound or sonography is helpful to visualize masses, tendon injuries, and muscle tears. An MRI is used to diagnose soft tissue involvement, including ligament injuries. And an arthroscopy is the gold standard because it allows a direct visualization of wrist structures. A TFCC peripheral tear post-op, they will be placed in a cast or a Munster orthotic with the form and wrist in neutral for four to six weeks. You will do no passive range of motion with form rotation until 10 weeks post-op. So again, a TFCC peripheral tear post-op, they will cast them or do a Munster um, with the form and wrist in neutral for four to six weeks, but you cannot do any passive range of motion with form rotation until 10 weeks post-op. The piano key test, this assesses DRUJ instability. The therapist stabilizes the radius and mobilizes the ulna in both form pronation as well as supination. Then you compare the stability to the other side. If there's increased mobility and or pain on the injured hand, then the test is positive for DRUJ instability. So again, the piano key test assesses for DRUJ instability. The therapist stabilizes the radius and moves the ulna in both form pronation as well as supination. And then you compare it to the other side. If there is increased mobility and or pain in the injured hand, then the piano key test is positive for DRUJ instability. This is different from the piano key sign. 
With the piano keys signed, the patient's hand rests flat on the table. The therapist presses down on the owner head and watches for a springy recoil. A positive test will have temporary displacement and pain. The scaphoid shift test, which is also known as the Watson's test, assesses scaphoid lunate stability. A positive scaphoid shift test will produce a painful clunk with reproduction of pain symptoms. A lunate dislocation it's typically caused by high-energy wrist hyperextension injury, often combined with ulnar deviation and carpal supination. So again, a lunate dislocation is typically caused by high-energy wrist hyperextension energy in injury, which is often combined with ulnar deviation and carpal supination. A grip rotary impaction test is the assessment used to identify ulnar impaction. The grip is first tested in supination and then in pronation. A slack wrist is a scaphoid lunate advanced collapse. This is the most common type of wrist arthritis. With a slack wrist, there will be SL dissociation due to ligament instability. It is progressive degeneration between the scaphoid, lunate, capitate, and radius. Treatment options for a slack wrist includes proximal row carpectomy, partial or complete wrist fusion, and denervation. A slack wrist, which is scaphoid lunate advanced collapse, is different from a snack wrist. A snack wrist is scaphoid non-union advanced collapse, S-N-A-C. In a scaphoid non-union advanced collapse, this is where you have um, Prizer's disease and you have... Um, um, necrosis of the scaphoid. An LT belotment test, the lunate is stabilized firmly with the thumb and index finger of one hand, while the other hand performs pisotraquetral movement volarly and dorsally. A positive LT belotment test will produce pain, crepitus, and laxity. Now let's talk about DC versus VC. A SL dissociation, like an SL tear, leads to a DC as the LT pulls dorsally and the scaphoid falls volarly. A DC can progress to a slack wrist. For an LT dissociation, this will lead to a VC as the SL pulls volarly and the triquetrum goes dorsally. 
both VC and DC are considered carpal instability dissociative or CID, which is instability within the same row. So DC and VC used to be very confusing. Um, and then I believe it was um, the ASHT conference where they had a diagram and um, basically it's the scaphoid uh, and then the lunate in the middle and the trichretal on the end. And they're all connected. Well, the lunate is promiscuous and he wants to go with whoever he's attached to. So at first they're all attached and so they're sitting in a row and they're cooperating like they're supposed to. But if there is an SL tear, what happens is um, the scaphoid will go down and then the lunate, because he is attached to the trichretrum, he will be pulled up. And this is going to be a DC, dorsal, inter, uh, dorsal intercollected segmental instability. Sorry, that's hard for me to say. Um, but if we um, look at this again, so we put them all back together. So scaphoid, lunate, and trichretrum are all connected happily. But now there is a lunate trichretrum tear. So what happens is that tri trichretrum goes back because he wants to pull up, but lunate is gonna stay with scaphoid because they're connected. Well, scaphoid likes to pull down. So scaphoid's gonna pull lunate down with it. And now you have a VC. All right, so um, mid-carpal instability. A CIND is uh, carpal instability, non-dissociative, meaning instability between the carpal rows. You can perform a mid-carpal shift test, which is also known as the catch-up clunk test. There will be an abrupt shift of the proximal row from flexion to extension with ulnar deviation. For the mid-carpal shift test, the therapist places a palmar force on the capitate and ulnarly deviates the wrist during axile load. Again, a mid-carpal shift test positive will create a clunk and pain. So for a CID, carpal instability dissociative, it means instability within the same row. But if it's CIND, Carpal instability, non-dissociative, it means instability between the carpal rows. So what happens if there are carpal fusions? If the carpal fusion occurs in the same row, the CID, then there will be a 12% loss of flexion and extension. This, an example of this is an LT fusion. If there is a carpal fusion at the mid-carpal joint, the patient will lose 27, approximately 27% of flexion and extension. An example of this is a STT fusion or a scapho-trapezoid fusion. For a radiocarpal joint fusion, the patient will have 55 percent loss of flexion extension. 
An example is the scapho-radiolunate fusion. So again, for uh, carpal fusions, if it is done in the same row, such as an LT fusion, it is expected that the patient will have a 12% loss of flexion and extension of the wrist. For a mid-carpal fusion, such as an STT fusion, the patient will lose approximately 27% of wrist extension and flexion. And lastly, if it's a radiocarpal joint fusion, such as a scapho-radiolunate fusion, then the patient will lose approximately 55% of wrist extension and flexion. The scaphoid is the most common carpal bone fracture. The proximal pole fractures are the greatest risk for non-union due to avascularity. The trichrechum is the second most common carpal bone fracture. So again, the scaphoid is the most common carpal bone fracture, and the trichrechum is the second most common carpal bone fracture. The hook of the hamate fracture is caused by a direct blow to the owner hand, often occurring with racket or batting sports. Pain increases with wrist ulnar deviation, as well as resisted flexion of the ring finger and small finger. There are often parathesias present due to the proximity of the ulnar nerve. A four-corner fusion is a fusion of the capitate, hamate, lunate, and triquetrum. A scaphoid excision is typical as well. A four-corner fusion can be a surgical treatment for a snack or a slack wrist. The patient will be expected to lose approximately 50% of wrist extension and flexion. So again, a four-corner fusion is fusion of the capitate, hamate, lunate, and triquetrum. A chauffeur fracture is an intra-articular fracture of the radial styloid. A collis fracture is an extra-articular distal radius fracture with dorsal displacement. However, a Smith's fracture, which is also known as a reverse collis, is an extra-articular distal radius fracture with palmar displacement. So again, a collis fracture is a distal radius fracture with dorsal displacement, and a Smith's fracture is distal radius fracture with palmar displacement. A chauffeur fracture is an intra-articular fracture of the radial styloid. A Barton's fracture is an intra-articular radius fracture with displacement of the distal fragment together with the carpus. Distal radial, distal, uh, I'm sorry. Distal radius fracture healing. If the radius heals with shortening and malalignment, then it can lead to DRUJ instability and a positive ulnar variance. This will cause increased load on the TFCC, pain and limits with forearm rotation, as well as ulnar-sided wrist pain with grip and twisting. 
During rehab, it's important to focus on restoring wrist extension by the patient correctly contracting the ECRL and ECRB versus using digital extensors to extend the wrist. So you want the patient to perform wrist extension with the patient lightly holding a dowel. Fracture disease, this is prolonged immobilization causing pain, edema, joint contractures, soft tissue adhesions, and muscle atrophy. Signs and symptoms of fracture disease will be both proximally and distally from the injury. Early range of motion and edema management is important, and this will help prevent fracture disease. Perturbation-based balance training is an intervention involving repeated postural perturbations aiming to improve control of rapid balance reactions. An example of perturbation-based balance training is wrist strengthening with using the uh, TheraBand Flex Bar. So you know how you have the patient hold it and you make it go back and forth? Well, that's perturbation-based balance training because you're using those um, repeated uh, rapid balance reactions to do that. The body blade is another example. External fixation uses ligamentotaxis to reduce fractures by applying tension to the surrounding soft tissue. Ulnar impaction surgery. If the patient has uh, no or minimal DRUJ involvement with ulnar impaction, then the physician will choose an ulnar shortening osteotomy. The post-op care includes a Munster splint or cast for six weeks. If there is DRUJ involvement of an ulnar impaction, then there are three surgical um, options. The first one is the Bowers hemi-resection. The Bowers hemi-resection interposition arthroplasty is resection of only the articulating portion of the distal ulna and interposition soft tissue to prevent radial ulnar impingement. The second option for ulnar impaction with DRUJ involvement is the Dirac procedure. The Dirac procedure is a distal ulna resection and is typically used only for low demand patients or those with RA. And lastly, an ulnar impaction with DRUJ involvement. Surgical procedure option is the suave Kapanji procedure. This is where the surgeon will dissect a portion of the distal ulnar shaft and pin the ulnar head to the radius, leaving the ulna floating. The SS Lopresti injury, this is a radial head fracture, interosseous membrane disruption, and DRUJ dislocation. There will be pro proximal migration of the radius, which will result in radiocapitellar pain, as well as ulnar-sided wrist pain due to a positive ulnar variance. Radial head reconstruction is recommended over excision in acute cases. 
A Galeazzi fracture is a fracture of the distal third of the radial shaft and an associated DRUJ dislocation. The Montasia fracture, this is a fracture of the proximal ulna associated with a radial head dislocation. So these three can um, get mixed up, at least for me they do, and something that uh, has helped me remember them is the SS Lepresti fracture. So the SS Lepresti is your radial head, um, your interosseous membrane, and your DRUJ dislocation. So SS dash Lepresti, so that's three things. SS is radial head fracture, dash is interosseous membrane, and Lepresti is DRUJ dislocation. So if you break that down further, E comes before L, so E is going to be your proximal portion, which is a radial head fracture, and L is going to be the distal portion of the DRUJ dislocation. For um, the Galeazzi fracture, I always remember that easy with um, the L in the middle, so it's going to be a distal third of the radial shaft with a DRUJ dislocation. The Montasia fracture, um, how I remember that is it has the two G's, and so that's going to be your proximal area. So fracture of the proximal ulna associated with the radial head dislocation. So that's kind of helped me um, memorize those. All right, Kienbach's disease. Kienbach's disease is avascular necrosis of the lunate causing lunate collapse. Due to the lunate collapse, the patient will have an ulnar minus variance. Surgical options for Kienbach's disease includes an STT fusion, which is a scaphoid trapezium trapezoid fusion. It can do radial shortening, ulnar lengthening, or capitate shortening. Salvage procedures for Kienbox include the proximal row carpectomy, the partial or total wrist arthrodesis, or total wrist arthroplasty. So remember with Kienbox disease, it's avascular necrosis of the lunate causing lunate collapse. Because of the lunate collapse, the patient will have an ulnar minus variance. So for surgical options, um, they can either shorten the radius to even it out, or they can lengthen the ulnar to even it out, or they could just fuse the scaphoid, trapezium, and trapezoid. So remember, the lunate is dead, so they can't fuse that or do anything with that because the hardware won't hold. So um, instead, they fuse what's around it, the scaphoid, trapezium, and trapezoid. Um, and salvage procedures for Kienbach includes a proximal row carpectomy, partial or total wrist arthrodesis, or total wrist arthroplasty. With Prizer's disease, this is avascular necrosis of the scaphoid, and Prizer's disease is not associated with any ulnar variants. The posterior interosseous nerve, or the PIN, is the motor branch of the radial nerve. There is no sensory component. 
The PIN resides in the fourth dorsal compartment, and the PIN is often irritated by ganglion cysts as well as any repetitive forceful hyperextension such as tumb tumbling that gymnasts do. This repetitive activity can cause perineural fibrosis, which is abnormal scarring around a nerve. Wartenberg syndrome is DRSN irritation, distal radial sensory nerve irritation. Symptoms are reproduced in wrist flexion and ulnar deviation combined with forearm pronation. Wartenberg syndrome is easily mistaken for decrovanes, um, and decrovanes may coexist. So remember, this is different from Wartenberg's sign. Wartenberg's sign is with the ulnar nerve being able to adduct the small finger. Wartenberg's syndrome, if you think of syndrome, you think about pain. So Wartenberg's syndrome is, um, is the DRSN irritation. Dart thrower's motion is going to involve mid-carpal movement, and this is commonly used for SL injuries. Uh, but new studies are finding that going to the extremes uh, motion of the dart throwers actually causes more, um, more uh, tension on the SL ligament. So um, for SL injuries, the exercises that you want to do, you want to strengthen the ECRL, ECRB, the APL, and the FCU in order to realign the scaphoid. Do not strengthen the ECU as this will encourage SL dissociation. Strengthening of SL injuries should occur in pronation. So again, for SL injury exercises, you want to strengthen the ECRL, the ECRB, the APL, and the FCU in order to realign the scaphoid. You do not strengthen the ECU as this will encourage SL dissociation. Strengthening of SL injuries should be performed in pronation. ECU subluxation occurs with the forearm supination and ulnar deviation. The tendon is reduced with wrist extension and radial deviation with the forearm and pronation. Therefore, this would be the best positioning for splinting. So I'm gonna repeat this because I thought it was kind of um, backwards, but if you look at it anatomically, it really makes sense. So if you are treating ECU subluxation, this is going to occur during forearm supination and ulnar deviation. So in order to reduce the ECU subluxation, you want to actually splint the patient with wrist extension and radial deviation. That's going to take that ECU and push it into the groove and allow that tendon sheath to heal. A total wrist arthroplasty is indicated when there is multiple joint involvement as the preservation of some wrist motion is essential. For example, an elderly lady with a wrist fusion on the left would be a candidate for an arthroplasty on the right because two fused wrists would not be very functional. Total wrist arthroplasty would not be indicated for a patient 
that requires a mobility aid, such as a rolling walker, because the implant cannot tolerate weight bearing. CID is carpal instability dissociative. This is disruption in the same carpal row. For example, your SL or your LT ligament injuries. CIND is carpal instability non-dissociative. This is instability at the mid-carpal or radiocarpal joints. And CIC is carpal instability complex. And this is dissociations that occur both within and between rows. And that is all that I have for chapter 14. Or I'm sorry, um, that is all I have for the wrist, which is the purple book, chapter 19, fourth edition. Have a good day.